Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're starting a brand new series tonight called Bigger Than Me. Turn to your neighbor and say, well, no, don't say you're bigger than me. But just turn to your neighbor and say, it's bigger than me. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's not about me. And uh, the idea behind this series is, is simply that we understand that we are a part of something that is bigger than just me. I understand being a part of the church of Jesus Christ and the plan of God for humanity, it is bigger than just me. I don't know about you, but in my life, and as I look to the, the trajectory of my future, I don't want to attach my, my, my future and my plans and my soul and my, my, my being, I don't want to attach it to something that is small. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Um, in fact, I would argue that the reason many of you are here, the reason I'm here today, standing here tonight, is because when I was in high school, I stayed attached to something that was bigger than me. The reason that I'm here in content, not that my life is perfect, but the reason that I'm, I'm still breathing today, in spite of all of the the waves that have come because of the pandemic and, and all of the things that have hit our culture and, and the exhaustion that that can bring, especially as a follower of Christ, the reason I'm here today is because I've attached my anchor to something that is bigger than me. The reason that I'm, I'm able to preach and, and the reason I'm able to go home and, 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 and be satisfied with what I've done in my day and the reason that I can love my kids and the reason that I am, am hopeful in spite of all of the things, the reason I'm hopeful about the future is because my hope is not anchored in me, but it is, it is anchored in something that is bigger than me. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the church. And the church is something that will never fall away. Now, I was thinking in light of some of the events that happened this last week with Dante Wright and the tra his tragic death. And um, I know in, in things like these, it, it, it becomes this, it becomes this um, really kind of hot thing to try and, and to wrap your arms around and the injustice and... Um, all of the things that it begins to unfold, and, and not only the Dante Wright um, killing, but also um, just the day before, I believe it was, where there was a, a shooting in a school uh, in Tennessee. And these two events happening in the same um, really 24-hour news cycle, um, not to reduce them down to a news cycle, but these things happening, um, as I began to read about them, my heart just sunk. And I don't know about you, but when you see another school shooting, when you see another, um, you know, African-American person or an Asian person who, is, who seems like they were targeted because of their race or, or these kinds of things happening, when you see them happening and you read them, it, it, the, the tendency is to want to just sink into your couch and feel hopeless. Anyone ever felt that way? 
You see the tragedies, you see COVID killing people, you see depression on the rise, you see suicide on the rise, you, you see hate spewed back and forth from left to right and top to bottom, and you see these things unfolding in our culture, and you just start to get discouraged. I don't know about you, but this last week I was discouraged, but I did not stay discouraged for too long. Do you know why? Because my hope, and not only my hope for me, but I know that God's hope for humanity is rooted in the mission of the local church. And I know that when I attach myself and tie my hope to Jesus and to his church and serving and building and being a part of his kingdom, I know that even though it is dark right now, there is nothing that can stand and prevail against the church. So when I attach myself to something that transcends every death and transcends every tragedy and transcends every injustice, this in no way reduces the injustice. In fact, what it does is it gives the injustice perspective. Because I know that when I see it, I know that there is a greater kingdom at hand and there is something that God is doing. And God actually saw the end from the beginning, and he saw all the way through every injustice and every issue and every bad, wrong, evil thing, everything that was done, the, these wrong things at the hands of human beings. And he saw all of those all the way to the end of the age. And as he s- surveyed it all, he said, I've got a plan. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to establish his church. And on The rock that is his church, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. I want to read this scripture out of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? And they replied, some say it's John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? This is an important question for you to answer. And I hope that COVID maybe poked a hole a little bit in your faith that forced you to have to re-ask the question, who do I say that Jesus is? There's a point in your life where you go from who do my parents say or who do my leaders say or who do my friends say or who does culture say or who does the media say or what does social media say or what is popular opinion about and you go from all of that and you go to but who do I say that Jesus is? Because this is one of the most important questions you'll ever answer because you live your life from your understanding of who God is. And if you don't know the answer to this question, I don't want you to fret but this is one that you need to answer because if you are unsure about it, if you're indifferent on it, you're going to live your life from this state of double-mindedness. You're not gonna know who you are. You're gonna be confused. You're gonna be frustrated. You're gonna live in this wishy-washy back and forth. Some days you're gonna feel great. Other days you're gonna be pissed off and some days you're gonna be be loving life and other days you're gonna feel like you don't want to live anymore. Why? Because you don't know who God is and when you don't know who God is, you don't know who you are. And so he says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome or prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I want to speak on this idea, I love what I'm a part of. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I love what I'm a part of. And uh, if you want a better title, you can call it the gates of my nap. The gates of my nap. Would you back heads and close your eyes and let's pray and ask God to speak to us tonight. God, thank you for your church that we get to be a part of. I pray that if there's a high schooler or a middle schooler in, in here tonight and they're discouraged, they're unsure of who they are, they're unsure of really what, they don't know what to make of all of the events going on in our world and they're discouraged, they're disoriented, they're not sure what to do, how to think, how to see the future. Would you remind them, God, that you love them? And even more than that, God, that you have a purpose, that you know everything that is going on and you hold, just like we sang it tonight, you hold it all together. So God, we anchor our hope not to ourselves and our own ability to muster up the future, but God, to you who holds it all together. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. You ever tried to, um, to contain someone? Anyone ever, like, you play the games, like you ever played Capture the Flag and you're trying to, to, to contain people out from the flag, like you're, you're blocking the flag? Um, we, we, uh, we have three kids, as you probably know, and, and being a dad, it's, it's sometimes easy to get tired. And there, there'd be times where I'd come home at the end of the day or get up early in the morning, and what I want to do is lay on the floor and fall asleep. And um, you, you're not laughing because you don't understand how real the struggle is. And... There was a time recently, I don't think I've ever told Noel this story, but a time recently where I, I had Lennon, and she was gone, and the, the other two kids were, were asleep, I want to say, and I was just downstairs alone with Lennon, but I was exhausted. I was tired. I was worn out, and this was before Lennon was walking, and before she'd broken her, her shin, her tibia, uh, we don't know how she did it. She broke her bone. Um, that was super cool. Like a week after walking, she broke her leg. Um, super cool, but she's walking again, but she's crawling at the time. And, and, um, when your child starts crawling, what you do is you tend to just build barriers so that they can't get out. And I'm like, I just got Lennon. She's not going to walk anywhere. And if you've ever been to our house, we're downstairs kind of where our couch is and it kind of sections off the room. And so what I would sometimes do just, I'm just being real with you is I would, move the ottoman to block her off from being able to go anywhere. And then I would lay between the ottoman and the table against the wall. And I would just put my leg up on the ottoman and I would just close my eyes and fall asleep. Because what would then happen is Lennon would come up against the barrier, try and get out, and she either wouldn't be able to get out or she would try and crawl over me, which would then wake me up. And then I would be there to make sure that she stays safe. So this is obviously a foolproof full, full, uh, plan. So I set up the, the, the ottoman against the couch, okay? 
Mind you, she at the time is probably nine or ten months old. Not a very strong human. So I put the ottoman there, and I lay against it. I put my leg up on, on the ottoman, and I, we've got this little poof. It's like a little foot poof, p- pillow-looking thing. And I, I just prop myself up on it, and my arm is against the table. So there's no way my child is getting out of here. And so I'm literally laying on the ground, and I, just set, I set a timer on my watch for every three minutes. And every three minutes I would wake up and make sure she's still there, and then I would fall back asleep. I'm not joking you. This is bad parenting. I don't recommend any of this, okay? But it is what I did, and it is what I will continue to do, okay? And so I'm laying there, set my timer for three minutes on my watch, goes off. I look. She's still there just entertaining herself. So I do it again, do it again, do it again. This happens about 10 or 15 times. Literally, it was probably about 45 minutes. And I go back to sleep one more time, hit, you know, hit the three-minute snooze. And I wake up, and Lennon's gone. Mind you, I'm home alone. Noelle's not there. The other kids are not there. So I wake up. I don't see her there. I look in the kitchen. I don't see her. I look over to the stairs. If you've been to our, stair, our house, the stairs go up, a little flat part, up, a little flat part, and then a big staircase up, right? And it's the worst when they fall down. It's happened multiple times with the, each of the previous kids. And it's really disheartening when you see it happen. You think they might die or break their neck. It's, you really don't want it to happen. And so, so I run and I see Lennon standing on the very top with her heels. And I'm not joking you. Like this, with her head turned around smiling at me. And I don't say anything. And I, as calmly as possible, run as fast and calmly as possible, to the top of the steps to catch her. And as I'm about five steps down, she starts to fall backwards. And I'm talking literally like freaking Superman. I launch up and I catch her as she falls and she laughs the whole way. Come on. Super dad right here, right? Thank you. Thank you. And what's I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I was freaked out. I'm like, I'm never, okay, I will do it again, but I'm never going to do it again, probably. And what's funny is as I ran up and just caught her in time, I kind of realized, like, my plan to contain her, it did not work. And as much as I thought being the 36-year-old muscular adult man who's in charge of my house and is smart and knows how to keep a not even one-year-old from escaping my clutch. As much as I tried, you can never underestimate the determination and the torture that a nine-month-old tries to put you through as a parent. It's like a rite of passage. Oh, you want to fall asleep? Let me try and die. And it'll make you regret trying to fall asleep. This is what they do time and time again. I mean, Jude, the other night, we're at the park. He climbs up a little spiral thing. He's like, Dad, catch me. And he just jumps backwards. Like, because why not? Like, are are you crazy? And the answer is absolutely yes. 
And what's funny is as much as I try as a dad, I cannot control or contain what my kids want to do because at the end of the day, there's something in them that needs to get out and explore and climb the stairs and fall backwards and try and break their neck. You could say that the gates of my nap were unable to prevail against the determination of my daughter. What we need to understand is that there is no plot, no hell, there's no plot of the enemy that can contain the church. There is no gates of hell, there is no injustice, there is no threat to our society that is going to ever have the last word. There's nothing that you've ever seen, heard, experienced that has come at you that you've seen from afar that you've read about, that you've witnessed, that you've seen in church history, that you've read in your history books, all of the injustices and all of the things that got covered up. And in all of that, all of it has been a plot from the enemy to try and snuff out the power of the church. But I need to encourage someone tonight. The reason that I am a part and the reason that God has placed you here tonight and as a part of the church is because he's trying to anchor you to something that will always win out. That you're a part of something that transcends right now. The reason that I'm sometimes discouraged by the state of what, what is happening in our world and the way that people are responding to some of it is not because I disagree with their assessment. It's I disagree with the solution. The solution is never fixing the thing itself. The solution is the person who created you getting anchored to that and getting anchored to the thing that was existing before the injustice and will outlast the injustice. It is the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ and his church. And when we anchor ourselves to the church. It does not matter what tries to come against it. There is nothing that can win because we are part of something much greater. It's the church. And what Peter began to kind of realize as he's having this conversation with Jesus, he says, Jesus, I know I've heard this and that and all this kind of stuff about you. But Jesus is like, but Peter, who do you say that I am? Do you actually believe that anchoring yourself to this is worth it? And Jesus, in that moment, poses the same question that perhaps he would pose to you and I today. Is can you anchor your life to something that is greater than you? Can you anchor your life to something that will transcend today? This is the hard part, friends, is that there were people throughout Scripture and there are people in this room that will do things that are so great that they will never be able to see the impact of until they are up in heaven watching with the great cloud of witnesses as they look down and see hundreds and two hundreds and thousands of years down the road and they see all of the things that their actions produced because they attach themselves to something greater than themselves. But a lot of times what we do is we want fame right now and we want influence right now, and we want results right now, and we want systemic change right now, and we want all of the things, and we make it about the things. And friends, I'm with you on the things. But the things are not about the things. 
And if we're not careful, we make it about the things. So what do we do? We hook, we hook our, our anchor to all of the change that we want to see today. And then once it happens, what do we do? We unhook our carabiner and we put it onto something else because it was never able to sustain our weight. The only thing that can is Jesus. The only thing that can outlast your life right now is being a part of the tapestry of what Jesus has been doing all since the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is the church of Jesus Christ. That's it. And that is what I love about the church is that throughout human history, that God has been looking and where everyone is discouraged, he says, let me lift your heads. I'm doing something bigger than what you can see right now. Keep Keep in mind, take heart, I'm not done with you yet. I need to encourage someone in here who's listening, maybe tonight or by podcast later, that God is not done with the church. And you might think, and all of your friends might think that God is done with the church, but I am here to say that there has nothing, there's never been a thing that has been able to be successful to get rid of the church. It ain't gonna happen. And in fact, the worse that the world gets, guess what? The brighter the church gets. And so I'm encouraged right now. I want things to get better. I want to not wear masks anymore. Not because I'm anti-mask, but because I literally want to see your teeth in all of its yellowness. I want to smell your breath. I want to be able to, to kiss you if I'm married to you. And that's Noel. That's it. And, 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 she, but, and she doesn't wear a mask at home. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm like, I, I, I want that. Because I know that humanity wasn't meant to live that way, but I don't care if they jail us, if they put masks on us, if they restrict us, if we got to go against it or go with it, if we've got to go back or forth. I don't care what we have to do because I am not a part of something that it can only last when conditions are perfect. I'm a part of something that will last. And the worse that it gets, the brighter the church will get because I am not at the head of it, Jesus is. And I don't serve a dead God, friends. I don't know about you, but I serve a living God and he's active in this room and he's alive in my life and he's not done working. And so when I get discouraged, you know what I do? I remind myself, I am not God. I am not in charge. I'm not leading this thing and I don't have to carry the weight of it. I can put all of my cares on Jesus. I can put all of my hopes on Jesus. I can put all of my future in the hands of Jesus and I know that he is leading me. And when he is leading me, when God is for me, then I don't care who tries to be against me. They ain't going to win. Yeah. Is anybody with me? Yeah. Like, I'm not a part of something that is minuscule. I'm not a part of something that is dispensational and it is temporary and it will end with a certain period of time once it has been accomplished. I am a part of something that will never die and it is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the kingdom of God and it is everlasting. It is never ending and when I die, I will be there. But friends, guess what? What is there is now here because of Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit is alive in me now so I don't have to wait to see heaven. I can bring it here to earth and that is what makes justice. That is what makes seeing mercy and, and all of these things where we see evils and we see wrongs and we see bad things and we see darkness. It's what gives it perspective because when we want to see change, we don't want to see temporary change. We want to see permanent, eternal, everlasting, not, not ending change. 
How many of you want to see change for five years and then when your kids are all starting to grow up or in 10 or 20 or 30 years, when your kids start to get older, that now they get to all experience the same things that you had to, only way worse because you were fighting for something that was not everlasting. I don't want to fight for something that's not going to stand the test of time. And what Peter was told by Jesus in this moment is, Peter, hey, hey, guess what? You understand something here. And based on this understanding, this is a solid foundation. And on this solid foundation, which by the way, Peter's name, Petra, means rock. And on this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. A sleeping dad with an ottoman and his leg up will not be able to prevent you as a nine-month-old crawling out and getting up the stairs. Here's why I love being a part of the church. I want to give you three thoughts. Number one is the church has a long story. The church has a long story. I I was listening to someone recently, and, and he's saying, I no longer read people who are alive. I only read dead people. And it's such a profound statement because what he was saying is, I want to ingest information and wisdom and insight and, and science and ideas and, and spiritual things. And I want to ingest like theology from people whose th- their, their ideas have actually been able to stand the test of time. I love that the church has a long story. You're, you're all sitting here. Many of you have been alive for 15 or 18 or 16 or 14 years. I've been alive for 36 years. But about 50, yeah. I don't know who said that, but I'm not happy about it. 36 going on 26, okay? You know what? I'm done with you guys. Out of here. Um, my, uh, my parents were part of a church um, when they first got saved in 1980. And that church... Little did they know, was actually birthed out of a church in West Seattle that was a legacy kind of church that had been around for, you know, for many, many decades at the time. And at that time, that church was a church planting church, and they sent out two people, one of which was Pastor Richard Martin, one of which was Don Ostrom, and those people, those two people together. Um, started this church that we're standing in today. And it began when Pastor Martin was driving by the Meridian Grange Hall. If you've ever driven by there, it's across from Gonzo's and uh, Bear Arms right over there. There's a Meridian Grange Hall. And he was driving by there, and there was a junkyard at the time. And as he was driving by the junkyard, he felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, this is what the church is meant to be. It's It's not a place where perfect people come, but it's actually a place where broken down and hurting people are able to come. And when they come in, God is able to restore and heal and redeem what has been broken. How many of you believe the church is meant to be that, right? How many of you believe you gotta be perfect before you come in here? I hope you don't think so. And if you ever feel so, would you tell us? Because we don't want anybody to feel like you've got to be perfect. But God loves you so much that when you come in broken, he wants you to leave growing and leave better and leave refined and leave with a little bit more fuel in your tank so that you can keep going and doing what he's called you to do. But he drives by and he sees this, he sees these cars and he he feels like the Holy Spirit speaks to him. 
So that next year, the two of them would plant this church called Faith Tabernacle in 1970. And that church would quickly grow and the Holy Spirit would begin to do an amazing work that people from all around the region would begin to come. And in this building, um, they actually, in the 70s, were live streaming services to the basement. They actually built out the basement because they didn't have enough room in this building. They built this building because they didn't have enough room in the chapel. And, and God was just doing incredible stuff. And this is in the 70s. This is megachurch before megachurches were megachurches. And so they had cameras, and they were up on the roof, and they would stream it downstairs. It was incredible. And um, so that's in the 70s. Years later, that same church that would plant those two would plant the church that my parents would get, um, give their hearts to Jesus in in 1980. And over the next few years, there were actually a faction from this church who a decade after it was planted would go and help launch that church as well and help get it to the next level. And years later, as my parents at the time had been, um, they'd been youth pastors in that church now for about 15 years. My parents were driving um, by that same exact spot. They never knew about this vision, never knew about the story. But they're driving by the Meridian Grange Hall. And my dad, as he's driving, they were dropping off a babysitter who'd been watching um, us kids. And as he dropped the babysitter off, he was driving by the Meridian Grange Hall, and he felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Mind you, we didn't, we didn't know any of the people here. We hadn't started our church yet in Maple Valley that was meeting at Tahoma Junior High. We hadn't done any of that. He's driving by the Meridian Grange Hall, the same exact space that Pastor Richard Martin would get a word from God to start this church. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, this is where your influence begins. And so in that moment, he would just, in an exploratory imagination kind of prayer moment, would drive all the way down Kent Kangley, go through Four Corners, go the back way by Summit Landsberg, all the way back around the backside of Maple Valley, get on Highway 18 and come back up here through Covington and go back out down Kent Kangley. And that really represents that triangle of the broader area of influence that our church has, uh, even though it's expanded beyond that today. So little did he know that that next year he would start a church, that 14 years after that, after meeting in schools and all of this kind of stuff, that a conversation would begin with the pastors that were here, and that these two churches would now become one church Real Life Church in 2012. And that over the last nine years, what God has done in our church, all the way back to a Holy Spirit moment, driving down in a car across the Meridian Grange Hall, feeling like God said when he saw a junkyard, this is what my church is called to be. This is what you need to understand, friends. You are not a part of something insignificant. You feel like it right now. You're tired. You're wearing a mask. COVID's been weird. A lot of your friends are disengaged. You feel like there's not a lot of hope. You might even feel depressed. You might be having counselors because you don't know how to process what you're experiencing. You're Zoom fatigued. You're tired of school. You're tired of all of the things. It is just getting old now. Not to mention the existential threat of all of the things that are coming at us because of this virus. And you are feeling like from all sides, everywhere you look, the best things are still at best mediocre and you feel like there's just no hope 
What you need to understand in those moments is that you are a part of something that started before you and will outlast you. And when you anchor yourself to something greater than yourselves, you can endure what you are sitting in right now. You're not a part of something insignificant. You are sitting in this moment in legacy. You're sitting in blood, sweat, and tears. You're sitting in financial sacrifice. You're sitting in in roads that were paved years ago when there was a word from God spoken about you sitting in these seats right now that it said, we are building this for names that we've never heard and faces we've never seen. This is the reason that I love the church is because it has little to nothing to do with me and has everything to do with the story that God has been writing since time began and he's still writing. And when I feel like he's done, he says, get ready. I'm just getting started. You're not a part of something insignificant, friends. You're part of the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The second thing, though, that I love about the church is I love that it has remained throughout history. It's remained throughout history. And this is the interesting thing. is Jesus did not say to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will disappear. He said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the imagery used here is that of a a, a prison or a fortress. And what would happen is is there, you imagine these these walls and these gates, right? And this, this whole contained area. And on the inside or from the outside, to be able to penetrate these walls would be an incredible feat. But on the other side, if you're trapped inside of, say, a prison, it is almost impossible to get out. And so what he's saying is the church throughout history at times is going to feel like it is trapped. You ever felt trapped? Anyone this season felt trapped? Anyone this season just felt discouraged by the state of the church or the state of Christianity or the state of your life? And you just feel like, man, what is going on? It seems like the devil's winning. Seems like the world is winning. It seems like the church is losing. Is there any hope for the church? And what Jesus is really painting this imagery of is that there's like this rabid beast called the church that is on the inside of the walls. And every time you try and contain it, it just gets a little bit more feisty. And like a werewolf begins to open the bars and says, get ready, I'm gonna bite your head off. And this is what the church is doing in this season, friends. Can I encourage you? The church is about to explode and do the craziest stuff that it's ever done. It's going to win more people for Jesus. It's going to see more lost people found. It's going to see more blind people see. It's going to see more dead people come to life. It's going to see more depression conquered by joy. It's going to see more life change. Why? Because it's been tried to get contained by the world and all of the systems that the world is trying to set up And whenever it tries to do that, it just begins to, like a hulk, awaken a beast. And once you wake the beast up, there's nothing it can do except for break open the prison walls and say, I have been called for this time. This is what I love about the church. 
It has remained throughout history, and it has endured every crisis. And it's going to endure this one. I hope you're encouraged tonight. I know it's a little quiet. I know it's a little weird right now. But I want to encourage you that what you are a part of is so much bigger than what you see right now. And when you remember that, it gives you perspective for what you see right now. Lastly, we'll wrap up here. It's bigger than me. Turn to your neighbor and say, what I'm a part of? Say it a little bit louder. Say, what I'm a part of? Turn to your, na- turn to your other neighbor and say, it's bigger than the, the part I play. And this is what I want to kind of end with. And we're going to kind of break up in our seats and discuss this for a few minutes. But here's what I want to end with. Everything that you're seeing right now, what it's inviting you to do is one of two things. Give up or solve it yourself. Give up. Surrender. Quit. Leave church, leave Christianity, leave Jesus, leave people. Because it's too exhausting to have to wrestle. And what the world is inviting you to do is quit. But you know what it's also inviting you to do? Gets a little more savvy, and it's trying to invite you to try and solve it yourself. And guess what? Both ways will lead to death. And what I'm inviting you tonight into doing is a third way. Is to understand that what you are a part of, what your soul and your life and your future and your plans are anchored to, is something bigger than you. You have a part to play, friends, but your part to play never trumps what you are a part of. That's the body of Christ.